While you're standing, please open your Bibles for the reading of the Bible text and for the lesson that I'll be teaching today. I'll be reading from two books, the book of Matthew, chapter 27, and the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. While you're finding that, I want to say thank you again for the great privilege for me to be a part of this camp meeting. I was thinking earlier this morning for you to let one of you, a Mississippian, be a part of the special teaching and preaching team. That is an abundant honor to me. And I want all of you to know that uh, I'm one of you. Um, like we used to say, it don't sound too nice, but cut my wrist, I bleed Mississippi and Louisiana and Alabama. Thank God for the South. And to be sure that Brother Mayo is appreciated, thank God for the Northwest. Did he ever preach last night? Let's give the man of God a round of applause for a job well done last night. I want to give honor to Pastor Spell, to Bishop Spell, to the South Central Committee that is leading this camp meeting. It has been a great, great camp meeting Thank you for the hotel accommodations and all the hospitality. It's good to see special friends. Brother Booker from Rialto. Uh, I have had the privilege of being in his church and his pulpit on numerous occasions. And I remember once several years ago, I told the church in Rialto that Larry Booker is everybody's best friend. Everybody loves Brother Booker. Let's give him a southern welcome. Brother Booker, God bless you. I want to give honor to a couple of men that are special in the life of my wife and I at this time and season of our life. I want to say good morning to Brother Rick and Brother Ted Strain. Brother Rick Strain, pastor in Tabernacle Church of Decatur. And Pastor Ted Strain, pastor in Greater Life Apostolic Church of Picayune, Mississippi. These are two wonderful, wonderful men. And then I want to say hello to a longtime friend of mine from Mississippi, Brother L.R. Bowling from J.S. Mississippi. Welcome, Brother Bowling. It's good to see you. So if you want me to call your name out, if I didn't, please hold your hand up. I don't want anybody left out. Matthew 27, beginning in the 39th verse. Today we go back to Calvary. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 39. The events of today's Bible reading is possibly at the most an hour Earlier from yesterday's Bible reading, as you remember, when they pushed the soaked sponge of soured wine to the face and mouth of Jesus, he said, it's finished, and he died. He gave up the ghost. However, the funeral seemingly visitation had now officially started, and It's like we do down south when we lose a loved one. We call it we are waking the dead. It was almost as if that Jerusalem and points beyond was giving Jesus his visitation before he was even dead. And so in the 39th verse, they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. One translation that I enjoy reading after said it like this. In wagging their heads, they were saying, Tisk, tisk. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. 
if he be the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Three and a half years ago, before his first public sermon and his first public miracle, a similar question was posed to Jesus, but from the devil. And the devil said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Forty-two months later, chief priest, scribes and elders, they said it again. If thou be the son of God, this time come down from the cross. First Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them that are called both the Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Much can be said and should be said about the stumbling block that the cross was to the Jews. I will not be dedicating my time to the stumbling block sermon, but I have felt led of God to emphasize that to the Greeks, the preaching of the cross was foolishness. Apparently, Jews, both in and around Jerusalem, had witnessed so many Roman executions that they were now totally desensitized to the horrific death that Jesus suffered. Not too many days ago, Christ rode the foal of an ass triumphantly into Jerusalem and a massive choir throughout the city welcomed him with the refrains of Hosanna, Hosanna. A few short days after that first verse of singing Hosanna, the same massive choir sung their second verse. Away with him and crucify him. And then when Christ was on the cross, that same citywide choir sung their third verse. And with great disdain, they said, if thou be the son of God, come off of that cross. Today, I will dedicate my effort To my Lord Jesus Christ, it's okay if you take me to task on what I'm going to say now, but I think I'm going to preach the favorite sermon that he loves to hear. For he said, this is my body that was broken for you, and this is my blood that was shed for you. This is the one he said, I want you to remember. And I really do believe that I'm going to preach the sermon that Jesus would prefer. We all preach a whole lot more. And I'm going to preach the cross. Would you put your Bibles down? And would you lift your hands? And this time I want to break the protocol of the camp meeting. I want you to pray for yourself. Not for others, but pray for yourself.
And you may be seated. And so when the viewers pass by his, not casket, but when the viewers pass by the cross, it was obviously that this had become a sod show of sorts, almost a carnival atmosphere. If you would really do in-depth studying about what soldiers did to and about Jesus, you would understand that there were actually games being played in the blood puddles around the cross. We read that they smote him with their hands, and then they would ask him, Tell us, who smote you? Usually when the condemned by Rome would be headed to their final execution by crucifixion, they would all be blindfolded. That's when the fun started. On the way to their cross, soldiers made sport with the condemned. Smite them in the face and play in the game. Guess who hit you? Of course, Jesus knew a blindfold did not stop him seeing, but it was a carnival atmosphere, kneeling in the blood puddles around the cross. Ever how they gambled, casting lots, rolling the dice, they gambled for his only earthly possession, which was his garment. And then when the spectators and the sightseers passed by his cross, they reviled him by saying, If thou be the Son of God, come down off of that cross. In the original Greek, the word reviled is blasphemio, from where we get our word blasphemous. They vilified him. They defamed him. They slandered him. They insulted him. They spoke evil and unmentionable, vulgar things to him. If thou be the Son of God. There's no less than 47 references between Matthew and the end of the New Testament which documents that Jesus Christ was indeed then the Son of God. This mob personality and mindset even affected religious leaders, chief priests, scribes, elders, when it was their turn to pay their last respects. To the man on the cross, they didn't revile him, but they mocked him. And they said, if you're the king of Israel, come down from the cross and we will believe you. I find it interesting that just a few hours ago, this same crowd was clamoring, get him on the cross. And when they got him on the cross... Come off of the cross. Some of these folks just can't be satisfied. And you trust me when I tell you this. Don't you ever doubt it. That not only Jesus could have called. Multiplied legions of angels to his assistance. But if he would have chosen. He could have come off of that cross. And I heard when I read to you that they said, He saved others, but himself he cannot save. I've been a student of the scriptures practically all of my life. And I have determined that Jesus Christ is the only man that Jesus Christ refused to save. And the religious leaders, the priests, the scribes, the elders, they mocked him. 
And the word mark is taken from the original Greek, Ephazio, which means they jeered him. They scorned him. They spoke contemptuously to him. They spoke sarcastically to him. If thou be the king of Israel. I'm talking about these are theologians. These are the so-called scriptural gurus of the Talmud and the law of Moses. And they were asking him, if you're the king, come off of the cross. Make no mistake. First Timothy 1 and 17. He's not just the king. He's the king eternal. Make no mistake. Psalms 29 and 19. He's not just the king. He's the king forever. Make no mistake. Daniel 4 and 7 calls him the king of heaven. Zechariah 14 and 9 calls him the king of the earth. Revelation 5 and 3 identifies him as the king of nations. Psalms 99 and 4 calls him the king of Zion. Psalms 24 and 10 calls him the king of glory. Jeremiah 10 and 10 calls him the king everlasting. Hebrews 72 calls him both the king of peace and the king of righteousness. John 1 and 49 calls him the king of Israel. John 10 and 10 calls him the king of the Jews. Revelation 15 and 3 calls him the king of the saints. Isaiah 33 and 17 calls him the king of beauty. Psalms 24 and 8 calls him the mighty king. Revelation 19 and 6 concludes it with the high title that he is the king of kings. And if you have received the revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus, make no mistake about it. He was indeed in his ministry the son of God, but he is God eternal, manifest in the flesh. And I think we all need to be concerned about events that are taking place around the world and especially in the United States. But remember, the government is still upon his shoulders. Don't worry, church. We're in good hands with Jesus. Doesn't matter if war does break out. The church is in good hands. Doesn't matter if there's plagues and famines. The church is still in good hands. The general public and the theologians alike, in paying their final respects to Jesus, challenged him to come down off of the cross. Have you ever thought... What might have happened and what could have been canceled had Jesus come down from the cross? I wrote it like this. Had he come off of the cross, all the teaching of Jesus would have been in vain. Had he come off of the cross, all the preaching of Jesus would be in vain. Had he come off of the cross, the 40 recorded miracles written by the four evangelists, they would be worthless. Had he come off of the cross, all the prophecies about Jesus would have been insignificant. Had he come off of the cross, all the prophets that predicted Jesus would have been false. Had he come off of the cross, over 400 distinctive Old Testament prophecies concerning the birth The life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection would have been irrelevant and of no consequence. If he had called angels to pull out the nails, all the world would be condemned to hell. Had he come off of the cross, all our hopes, all our expectations... All our anticipations of life eternal with Christ 
would be nothing more but an eternal lie. Had he come off of the cross, no sinner could be forgiven. Had he come off of the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ could not wash away every sin. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no peace in our hearts. Had he come off of the cross, there'd be no joy at camp meeting. Had he come off of the cross, there'd be no healing for our sick body. Had he come off of the cross, there'd have been no miracle for our diseased body. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no hope for the afflicted. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no apostolic church. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no body of Christ. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no bride of Christ. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no water baptism in Jesus' name. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no baptism of the Holy Ghost. Can I hear some speaking in tongues? Had he come off of the cross, there would be no sanctification. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no justification. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no regeneration. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no salvation. I'm so glad. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no hope of a rapture. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no hope of the resurrection of the dead. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no camp meeting in New Jerusalem. Oh boy, that's olden version, but it's good anyway. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no crowns of life, no crowns of righteousness. Had he come off of the cross, there would not be the river of life. Had he come off of the cross, my God, ain't no telling what the Holy Ghost is going to do in this service this morning. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no crystal sea. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no four beasts shouting, Holy, holy, holy. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no 24 elders casting their crowns at his feet. Had he come off of the cross, there would be no millennium. But I want to make an announcement to hell and to the devil. He stayed on the cross. We're saved by his grace. We're washed by his blood. We're filled with his spirit. And we're just passing through, devil. We're waiting for the sound of the trumpet. Calvary, it was not carnival, it was everything but. Let the soldiers play the blindfold game of who hit you? Let the soldiers run their dice to see who wins his garment. Calvary was anything but a sideshow, a vanity fair. This was agony. This was suffering. This was endurance. I fear that in my generation of Pentecostals, Bishop Spells, we have learned to sing beautiful songs about Calvary, but we've never really experienced in prayer what Calvary was all about. With great beautiful words, with oratory and eloquence, We can expostulate great and notable sermons about Calvary. But until we have a prayer experience about Calvary, 
Calvary's just a sideshow to Pentecost. I feel an unction on me to make a statement to this audience and because of Holy Ghost radio around the world I charge every apostolic preacher to preach Calvary like you've never preached Calvary the devil can't stand the preaching of Calvary it's his most hated sermon but Jesus said take it and drink it take it and eat it Remember me. In my 55 years of preaching, I have made a very special effort to be sure that much of my preaching is about the suffering Christ. To the point when I would preach it in some minute detail, I've even had parents to come to me and say, Pastor, you're getting much too emotionally involved about this crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And would say you preach it with such fervency and passion that it causes my children not to sleep well at night. I would to God. I would to God. I I would to God that I could preach Calvary with such passion today that you will never be the same again. It is well documented that he was battered, beaten, blooded, bruised, ripped, shredded, hammered, spiked, thick Roman sputum anointed his body. Calvary was not pretty. Here hangs a man that can't wipe his face. Here hangs a man that can't control his bladder. Here hangs a man that can't control his bowels. And we want to come to Pentecost and our goody goody two shoes and the latest fashions in Pentecost. We know nothing of Calvary's love. If we. It's okay. The Lord is with me. But I feel a spiritual resistance in what I'm doing now. The devil wants me to preach some faith to make you shout. But I want to preach some Calvary to see you saved. (laughs) Calvary, a place of a blessing. Calvary, a place of a curse. For at Calvary, Christ was cursed that we might be blessed. Calvary, we see man at his worst, but we see God at his best. Calvary, we see the Lamb of God slain. Calvary, we see the Son of God offer his life. Calvary, where we see the depths of the sins of humanity. Calvary, where we see the heights of God's love. Calvary, the place where the Son of God died. Stand up, Brother Hicks. I need those tears right now. Don't you be ashamed either. Throw your big hands up and cry while I preach. Calvary, the place where the Son of God died, where the sons of men might be able to live. Calvary, where the rich royal crimson blood of Jesus was freely shed, that I might have life and that life more abundantly Calvary where the devil finally suffered his long prophesied fractured skull for God said in Genesis 3 and 15 that I'm going to put enmity between thee and the seed of the woman you're going to bruise him you're going to bruise him but devil you listen he's going to fracture your skull Calvary, the mindset of devils was altered. Let us pray. Keep prevailing, Brother Hicks. And everyone but Brother Hicks may be seated. 
Calvary, the place where salvation for all sinners was drawn from the blood of Emmanuel's veins. Calvary, where a Savior died. Calvary, where salvation was born. Calvary, where the Savior cried with a loud voice, but a wild, frenzied mob screamed even louder. Calvary, the place where darkness enveloped the earth. Calvary, when there was the ecliptical phenomenon at high noon Jerusalem, the sun refused to shine. The earth refused to drink one more drop of his precious blood and the earth went into convulsions I'm talking to Pentecost tonight Calvary is still the message Calvary is still the hope Calvary is still the revival source Calvary is still the victory You all may be seated, but Pastor Hicks, I want you to pray loud, preacher. Crucifixion Day. Never a more dark day. Crucifixion day. Never a more sad day. Crucifixion day. Never a more lonely day. Crucifixion day. Never a more tearful day. Crucifixion day. Never a more bitter day. Calvary. Where Jesus Christ died for the prosecutors. Calvary, where Jesus Christ died for the executioner. Calvary, where Jesus died for the accusers. Calvary, where Jesus died for his beaters. Calvary, where Jesus died for his smiters. Calvary, where Jesus died for the mockers. Calvary, where Jesus died for the cursors. Calvary, where Jesus died for those that reviled him. Calvary, where Jesus died for those that rejected him. Calvary, where Jesus died for those that denied him. But I gotta say it. I gotta say it. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, there's some apostolics that's received him, and we understand that greater is he that is within us because of Calvary. And if God be for us, On the day that he was sentenced to die, he didn't have a royal crown on his head, but he had a cross. On the day he was sentenced to die, he did not have a royal throne on which to sit, but he did have a cross. On the day he was condemned to die, he didn't have a royal robe or his shoulder. But he had a cross. In this life, he had no bed in which to rest his weary body. But he had a cross. In this life, he had no monetary value. No real estate investments. No stocks and bonds and retirement savings. But he did have a cross. I fear that my version and my generation of Pentecost 
has got much of all the things I just mentioned, but few of us have the cross. I want to say this to the church. You get an old rugged cross on your back, you're going to find it tough to get through the turnstiles at a football and a basketball game. You get an old rugged cross on your back, you're going to find it hard to get across through the doors of a casino. You get a cross on your back. You're going to find it hard to get into the joints of beer and drugs and sexual perversions. Do what you got to do, but don't lay your cross down. Calvary. In Latin, it's pronounced Calvaria. Calvary in the Greek is pronounced Kwanion. Calvary in the Hebrew is pronounced Gugoleth. And we in the English language, we pronounce it Golgotha. It is known historically and biblically as the place of the skull. It's who you prefer to study and to read after. But the men that have taught me have gave me two options. Why? It was called the place of the skull. Number one, that the natural crevices and landscape of where Christ was crucified actually had an appearance of a human skull. Number two, this was the favorite execution spot for Rome when they executed the enemies of the state. And once the condemned were crucified and died, they would rip their heads from their shoulders and they would let the family have the headless corpse to bury the headless corpse. But Rome would keep the head, throw them in a pile and let rot do its work and scavengers do the rest. And it was a place of piles of human skulls to send a message. If you become a threat to the state of Rome, your head will end up right here. You know, I don't have this in my prepared statements, but as for me, I'm pretty well sick and tired of the devil bullying around the apostolic movement. This is not prepared, but this is unction right now. Devil come to you, preacher. If you preach against those things, you're going to lose them. Tie pairs. Preach against it. Lose them. And God will replace them. If you preach against worldliness, you're going to split your church. Preach against worldliness. Split your church. And God will bring them back to you. Don't you be pushed around. Don't you be bullied. Don't you be intimidated. Preach it. Personally, I buy into the opinion of the latter. I think it was a mountains of human skulls as a threat. If you rise up against Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. Jesus Christ didn't rise up against Rome. He didn't rise up against Israel. He didn't rise up against Judaism. But when Jesus Christ established his ministry, he rose up against the devil. He rose up against sin. He rose up against iniquity. I feel like I got to preach to some preachers right now. Don't you let it go, man. That sin will come back and destroy your church. Preach it out. Preach it out. Pray it out. Pray it out. 
Some will ask me how important is the message of the cross and the last few days of Jesus, then I will give you that answer. Forty percent of the four Gospels written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have everything to do with the last week in the life of Jesus Christ. Forty percent. Two-fifths of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are dedicated to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, no crime, guile was not found in his mouth. Not only was he just arrested, but he was arrested in a private prayer garden. But being arrested in a private prayer garden, he was executed on a public mountain. He was arrested while praying. He was identified with a sloppy kiss. He was bound and led away. He was blindfolded. They raped him of his modesty and stripped him naked before God and men. They smote him with a reed and with their bare knuckles. They striped him with a whip. They spit on him. They spiked him with Palestinian spikes. They speared him with a Roman spear. And every step that he would take from palace judgment hall to the final peaks of Golgotha, you could hear him slashing in his own blood as his blood squidged in his sandals. His wardrobe was scarlet. His scepter. How you feel, Brother Hicks? How you feel? Did you know what you're doing, son? You're on a mercy mission right now for this congregation. I want you to throw your hands up one more time, son. I believe the blood of Jesus His crown was weaved of thorns. His coronation was Roman sputum. His jurors was a bloodthirsty mob. His refreshment was soured wine. And the apostle Paul had the audacity to evangelize the city of Athens and given the grand opportunity to be the guest speaker on Mars Hill to the great philosophers of Greek and Rome of all the sermons that he preached he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ he said I have seen your devotions run son I have seen your devotions and I'm going to declare unto you the unknown God they call Paul a babbler they scoffed and they laughed at him listen to me America you can pass laws for abortion you can pass laws for a perverted lifestyle but you're going to face a cross you're going to face a Calvary word foolishness in the original when Paul wrote the Corinthians that the preaching of the cross was foolishness to the Greeks well time will tell you okay son you can be seated if you want to but you can stand and pray with me through this sermon if you choose The Greek word of foolishness is Maria. The preaching of the cross, by definition to the Grecians, was silliness. The preaching of the cross to the Grecians was absurdity. The preaching of the cross to the Grecians was ridiculous. It was ludicrous. 
It was preposterous to the intellectual Greeks. The preaching of such a silly message was unbelievable. And it was absolutely implausible. Greek and Grecians had seen Rome before. How in the world can you convince these learned philosophers that a humble servant born in Bethlehem lived almost below welfare means throughout his life that he was crucified with false accusations but believe it or not Athens and believe it or not Corinth and believe it or not Greece and believe it or not Rome and believe it or not United States of America the grave could not hold him buried in a borrowed tomb but on the third day to fulfill John 2 and 19 destroyed this temple and in three days I'm going to resurrect it again (laughs) how in the world could these philosophical Greeks and believe in such an absurd message more and more and more and I almost am embarrassed to say this the more ridiculous the political position is in the United States the more followers they're finding the more anti-God it is the more secular America is for it you better listen to me brother Christian and sister Christian You think they're going after Islam? You're wrong. They're coming after this Jesus bunch. They hate the cross. They hate the Bible. They hate Jesus Christ. But don't worry about it. I've already read the back of the book. We're going to win this thing. No weapon performed against you will prosper. Let... No, Paul, if you'd preach a little Greek mythology, we'll buy into it. Tell us about our God, Archelaus. Tell us about our God, Alastor. Tell us about our God, Apollo. Tell us about our God, Atlas. Tell us about our God, Boreas. Tell us about our God, Castor. Tell us about our God, Cronus. Tell us about our God, Dinlis. Tell us about our God, Eros. Tell us about our God, Hercules. Tell us about our God, Pollux. Tell us about our God, Triton. Tell us about the chief God, Zeus. Hey, we'll get on that one and say, Amen, Paul. Paul said, forget it. They're made of man's mind. I'm going to preach to you the living God. My God, somebody help me preach. Somebody shout Jesus. I think we have been rude in our Pentecostal pulpits to take relatively cheap pot shots to those with a sincere heart. 
but have a different persuasion on the Godhead than we do. We may be right, but you never win the debate by being wrong in the way you, you present it. So if my Trinitarians, whom I love and I respect, if you want me to talk about your Godhead, let me tell you who the Father is. You want me to talk about your Godhead? Let me tell you who the second person is in your Godhead. You want me to talk about your Godhead? Let me tell you who the Holy Ghost is. As a matter of fact, if you'll just give me a few more minutes to preach, just let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the creator of Genesis, the Passover of Exodus, the high priest of Leviticus, the lifted up one of Numbers, the royal Lord Deuteronomy, the king of Matthew, the man of Mark, the servant of Luke, divine of John he's the first he's the last he's the great I am (laughs) Paul refused to get on the Grecian mythological bandwagon and patty cake with them about what they wanted to hear I don't know whenever I have felt such flow of unction in me to preach like I feel today (laughs) pastor don't fall out with me because God has placed me in your life today but as long as you preach to your church what they want to hear they're not going to be what Jesus intends them to be Help me, Brother Bowling. Give me a preacher that'll look me right down in my eye and say, Odom, you better pray, boy. Odom, you better worship, boy. Odom, be sure your tithing and offerings are in order. Odom, you better dress right. Odom, you better look right. Give me a preacher that'll save me. But this Jesus cross message, how you feeling, Brother Hicks? See, what you don't know, I've got some things going on in my body today. I'm getting strength from you. So if you would, help me and remain standing and all others can be seated. This death, this burial... This resurrection message that Paul preached to the Corinthians and the Greeks. It was madness. It was insanity. It was lunacy. It was psychotic. And in some ways it was so comical that if it wasn't so pitiful, it would be laughable. Who has ever heard of a man being stuck on a stake and then being buried and then coming out of the tomb? I'm going to say something here that I may not be able to prove, but it feels good to say it. I believe that God is reserved to do some things on this earth in these last days that's going to shock the mind of men. I believe that God is going to work through the church in these last days to shake a continent, to shake a hemisphere, to shake a world. Some of you folks are sitting around like everybody else is going to backslide. Like everybody else is going to quit praying. Like everybody else is going to quit preaching. Like everybody else is going to give up holiness. I beg your pardon. There's some of us that's made up our mind. Our name is Naboth. We're not going to swap. We're not going to sail. It's our inheritance.
if you would do an in-depth word study and topic study about how ridiculous the Greeks thought that the preaching of the cross was, you would learn that they thought if you preached this message, you really had a serious mental imbalance. They really thought that you were psychologically irrational. They really thought that you were cerebrally challenged. God have mercy. Would you look at me? And I say this in, in, a, in a moment of awe in honor to my long beloved but yet deceased father. My daddy was a poor sharecropper from central Mississippi. And when he got down with a lot of Jehovah Witness literature around him and almost converted, he said, God, help me to raise my family the right way. And without a preacher, without a church, without a Bible study, God revealed the revelation of the mighty God to my daddy. Look at me now. I'm his son. I'm here today. You can call me mad. You can call me preposterous. You can call me lunatic. You can call me ridiculous. But ladies and gentlemen, I will stand for the doctor to my fathers, for this is the truth, and I will not sell it. What time is it? What time am I through? 11? Be seated. The Grecians were considered genius. Brother Mayo, preaching the cross was beneath them. The Grecians were considered scholars. Bishop Booker, the preaching of the cross humored them. The Greeks were considered academia. Ivy League, if you would. Brother Tim, the preaching of the cross was bothersome to them. The Grecians were considered intellectually brilliant. Pastor Richard String, the preaching of the cross was an annoyance to them. Pastor Ted String, the Grecians were considered philosophical. And the preaching of this cross was an exasperation to them. The Grecians were not theological, but they defined the term being theoretical. And the preaching of the cross, Brother Granger, was illogical to them. For you see, the Grecians had for their fallback the philosophy of Plato, the philosophy of reasoning, the philosophy of Aristotle, the philosophy of logic and aesthetics. They had as their backdrop the philosophy of Epicurus. The doctrine and the philosophy of atomistic materialism. The Grecians had for their backdrop Zeno and Stoicism that promoted the path to happiness and joy. And the preaching of the cross was stupid to them. I told myself I better not use that word today, but I did it. And I'm so glad I did. Paul preaching the cross. Oh no, that goes against Grecian philosophy. They taught, be wise and know yourself. The preaching of the cross went against Grecian philosophy. They taught, be strong and discipline yourself. Paul preaching this cross sermon that when it gets the grain of Grecian philosophy, they taught, be sensuous and enjoy yourself. They taught, be resourceful and expand yourself. They taught, be confident and assert yourself. They taught, be satisfied and please yourself. They taught, be capable and be and, and believe in yourself. They focused on personal power. They focused on authority above others. They emphasized personal freedom and personal liberties. And here comes an old preacher. Hallelujah. Guest evangelist on Mars. And he said, I have beheld your
your devotions and you folk are good people but you're mighty superstitious I'm going to preach to you all in one that Jesus Christ and Calvary and the cross is the answer to all of your problems I got so involved that I let my time get away from me. So what does the cross mean to me? Let me touch some sacred cows. We as Pentecostals, we think it's a sign of weakness when we acknowledge that our marriage is in trouble. And there's more Pentecostal marriages in trouble than I'm afraid to even think about. But if your marriage is in trouble, there's room at the cross for you. Your son, your daughter, your derelict, strung out on drugs, haven't heard from them in months backslidden you've got nowhere to turn there's room at the cross I'm just going to do what I feel like doing brother Hicks brother Hicks go stand by this man he jumped up on his own I'm not going to let him sit down I felt a move of God come out of him when he stood up. The devil tells you it's over, it's finished, there's no hope for your problem. This old sweated brow preacher's telling you there's room at the cross for you. Are you chemically addicted to drink, to illegal drugs and street drugs? Are you addicted to prescription drugs and you don't know how to stop it? I've got news for you. There's room at the cross for you. You can't break the porno habit. You're running around on your spouse. You know it's wrong, but you can't quit. You don't know what to do. You're afraid to tell anybody. I've got the word for you. There's room at the cross for you. You've got inoperable cancer. You've got untreatable cancer. And the doctor says you're going to die, not live. There's nothing they can do. I've got news for you. There's room at the cross for you. Hear my cry, hear my cry, trembling into thy arms I fly. Oh, save me at the cross. I have sinned, but thou hast died, thou hast died. In thy mercy let me hide. Oh, save me at the cross. Though I perish, I will pray, I will pray. Thou the one of the last living way. Oh, save me at the cross. Thou hast said thy grace is free, thy grace is free. How compassion, O Lord, and save me at the cross. Only faith will pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. In that faith now I cling. Oh, save me at the cross. Come on, preacher. Take your little wife and walk across this front. Come on, Brother Spell. Help Brother Odom right now. Take your little wife and walk around the front for me right now. We got to break this thing. We're here to, not just today. We got to break this shackle. We got to break this burden around our neck. Friend, if you, if you survive, it's going to be because of the cross. If you hear the Lord say, well done, it's going to be because 
because of the cross. If you walk on the streets of gold, it's going to be because of the cross. If you receive a crown of life, it's going to be because of the cross. If your church has a revival, it's going to be because of the cross. If your diseased body is healed, it's going to be because of the cross. If you overcome sin, it's going to be because of the cross. Fountain that flows through. 